Funny Books with Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Hey, peeps. Welcome back, Aaron. It was uh, it was odd not having you last week. <laughs> well, you know, I always like to be had, so, uh, you know. You know and actually, to be honest, we don't actually need your opinion on comics or anything. What we need you to do is, if you're going to be out, you need to record the intro beforehand. <laughs> That's all we really need. We, we need your announcer voice for the intro uh-huh. and just leave yourself out of the introduction. If I you like, do that, we're good. I can do that. I, I sort of like mine. I don't... Damn it. You know what just occurred to me? Why didn't we think of that? <laughs> Aaron edits the damn episodes anyway, or you know, at least level eights them and posts them up. Why couldn't we just say, ah, Aaron, at this point, edit in your intro? Because awkwardness is part of the funny. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, Aaron hasn't actually edited any of that yet, so he hasn't heard the intros. Yeah, Aaron, I said intros, plural. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, something to look forward to, I guess. Yay. Well, I, I have to apologize at first, right up front, for my voice this week. I know I this sound like ass. This week? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, in addition to my regular obnoxious voice, uh-huh. now, now I have the sick as well. I have the rage virus. Uh, well, just in time for the holiday. Exactly. Yeah. Halloween. Uh, holiday. Yeah. It is a national holiday. Isn't your party this weekend? There there no party this year. Um oh, that's right. You told no party. Yeah, I didn't I, I didn't want to do a party this year. I wanted to do something else, but unfortunately, apparently we have like a nor'easter coming through and I feel like ass. So Well, you've looked better. Said we're going to see Puss in Boots for Halloween. How about that? We saw that last night. Very yeah. scary. In my case, my wife is a huge fan, and she has uh, contacts now. So this is the first 3D movie she's seen since she got contacts. Because she had glasses before, and it always bothered her putting the 3D glasses over it. So she wanted, she was all excited to actually see 3D like everyone else does. She seemed to enjoy the movie. I seemed to not like it, but yeah. I didn't expect to like it. It was a movie for her. It was a movie about cats, and you have 17 of them. Like, uh, it's like I don't get enough cats at home. Let's go see another one on a big screen in 3D. Instead, well, we could just look yeah. at DJ Kitty sitting on the couch for free. I saw a movie called Puss in Boots on Hotel Cable, but I don't think we're talking about the same thing. <laughs> we we might feel be. like certain things were coming right at you, though. So <laughs> I think you probably enjoyed that one far more than I enjoyed this one. Ten minutes at a time. That's because Aaron, Aaron enjoys horrible things. <laughs> well, that's because Aaron is a horrible person. How am I a horrible person? You are a horrible person. How am I a horrible person? So, Aaron. I slow down in school zones mostly. Mostly. <laughs> yeah, so you can puke out the window. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah, listen to episode like five for that <laughs> reference. Um, no, so Aaron posts on Twitter, you know, when he's missing our podcast last week, it's because Aaron is fishing. Right. And Aaron and his fishing cohorts caught 53 fish. This is true. That's like the entire population of fish in that lake. I am going to war on the sunken city of Atlantis. Uh, 50 <laughs> fish just seems like an abnormally high amount to me. That seems like <laughs> like genocide or something. I have declared war on the fishy people. Like Abe Sapien, he's not safe around me. Like if a fish killed 53 humans, <laughs> we would not say, oh, well, there are still 5.9 billion left. <laughs> we would say, holy shit, <laughs> that's a killer fish. That so, is finally a job for Aquaman. <laughs> I knew there had to be a job for him somewhere. Well, you know, it's because he talks to the fish. He doesn't talk to the fish. <laughs> <laughs> Are, are you are you saying that that my my haul was excessive, Paul? Is that what you're saying? I'm I'm saying you could have like I don't know, like fed red lobster for a day or something. Fifty three fish just seems like a high <laughs> amount for for one fishing trip. Like I like you see on TV, like these people go fishing and they pull back a fish, uh huh, and that's like a good day. You pulled back fifty three. Yeah, 
I, I, I'm not understanding your problem here. Fish fathers, fish mothers, fish babies. <laughs> fish I, families torn apart by I, Aaron Head's cruel, cruel hook. I, uh, I, uh, I really am, don't discriminate, you know, when I'm catching the fish. Well, to be fair, Paul thought Finding Nemo was a drama. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, Aaron thought Finding so, Nemo was a task. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Followed up by Ed Nemo. Check. Done. <laughs> Finding Nemo, cutting Nemo, cleaning Nemo, eating Nemo. <laughs> delicious, delicious. We're going to keep catching until we find one with all the little flippers. <laughs> <is different>. <laughs> <laughs> F these fish. Aaron, you're not going to find any clownfish in the freshwater lake. Don't care. Keep fishing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aaron, just to continue prodding the guy who edits the show, uh-huh. how does it feel to have a baseball team win the World Series? Oh, uh-huh. you wouldn't know, would you? Yeah. I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, quote the coyote here. Get a spoon, eat my ass, Wayne. <laughs> I, I could care about the Cardinals. <laughs> Moved along. I, I will say that here was, in St. Louis, I, I, we, I will we say didn't that. have a team make it to the World Series two years in a row and not win. So, oh, God. just say it. Yeah, well, you know, I will say that uh, you know it was a very entertaining World Series. However, Ranger baseball is far too shallow a vessel to put one's hopes and dreams into. <laughs> That is true. I did not you know, hear enough bourbon at my house last night. You know what's not too shallow a vessel? The Enterprise. Just to continue making you jealous, our science center has Star Trek The Exhibit. Oh, does they it? Have, yeah, they've got uh, basically all of this memorabilia from the whole run of the shows, the movies, everything. Uh-huh. They have a, uh, a mock-up of the bridge so you can get your picture taken. Uh-huh. And when we're done recording, that's what I'm doing today, is we're heading up to the Science Center for the Star, Star Trek The Exhibit. Did they bring the simulator with them? That's, I'm kind of curious, because I don't know if they did or not. Yeah, because so the simulator's it, a blast. Is it basically the uh, Deanna Troy Mind Rape Simulator? <laughs> <laughs> don't you want to be alone with me and my mind? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be this. It's a huge exhibit, though. I can't wait to get up there. It just opened yesterday, so it's you know basically I'm waiting one day to rush up there and see this. Yeah, it's a traveling exhibit, and it's gotten really good press. So uh, I think it's heading to Houston. I want to say I don't know that for a fact, but I think it's going coming to Houston later. So I'll give I'll you a uh, I'll give you a report on it, so you know if it's worth the drive or not. Excellent, excellent. Well. That sounds amazing. Almost as amazing as a certain Spider-Man. A certain Spider-Man who has finally conquered the Battle of Spider-Island? That is correct. Yeah, his name is Kane. (laughs) 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 So, Amazing Spider-Man number 672, part 6, or part 37, if you're buying all the tie-ins, of uh, Spider-Island was released this week. The conclusion of the Spider-Island epic... What'd you guys think? I think this issue was a. I think this issue was a bit of fan service, and I was a fan, and I was definitely serviced. I I was very happy with a bunch of things that happened in this issue. Seeing Mary Jane with spider powers fighting, hearing that she's built up a Parker immunity, seeing Kane in costume fighting. The only thing that bugged me was the stupid spike coming out of Kane's claw or Kane's wrist. I thought we'd done away with those a long time ago when they conveniently forgot that they gave them to Peter. No. I uh, was amused at how Mary Jane acquired her immunity, you know, with her, uh, her, 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 her Peter Parker pork injections. Um, <laughs> Peter porked. She got Peter porkered. Yeah. Um, that just, that just cracked me up. But uh, uh, I, I particularly love that one scene where she just she's watching him, you know, uh, control the the Octobots, you know, to uh, cure everybody in town. And she's just very small voice. I love you. You know, I just I, I thought it was a great panel. You know, I don't know if I was uh, more excited about that panel or the one where after everything's over, they're sitting up on the water tower and he's got his arm around her shoulder, and they're just looking out at yeah. the city. I, Those I, were two really good Mary Jane panels. Yeah, I thought they were, they were too. I I really liked this book. 
Um, I got to tell you again, I mean, I know I've said this a gazillion times since we've been talking about Spider Island. This should have been Marvel's big tentpole event for the summer. Um, not that crap itself book, but this one, because this one really, I mean, I had some complaints about the art. I felt like the art was rushed. Uh, I didn't feel, I didn't have those arguments about this issue though. Uh, in previous issues that I just felt like the art was just too rushed, uh, for these books. But I just, I thought this was really a solid story. I'm glad it's over. I think it was the appropriate length. I know we've got an epilogue or two coming, but, uh, uh, I dug it. I dug it a lot. You know, and it's the first time in a long time for Amazing Spider-Man that the cover actually is pretty much what happens in the book. Yeah. You, yeah. Mary I'm, Jane really does wear his shirt. They really are on top of a tower fighting a bunch of spiders. I mean, when's the last time that's happened in Amazing Spider-Man? Now, I want to make a complaint. Tangent I, to uh, Amazing Spider-Man. I was listening to this week's episode of the podcast. And they're interviewing the guy who uh, is going to be doing the new Marvel role-playing game. And they make this offhand comment, and I'm calling you out, Eric. They make an offhand comment about, well, don't, you know, don't, don't uh, include any of those uh, you know, stupid Spider-Man clones. I'm sorry. I think that Spider-Man clone story is pretty darn awesome. Maybe went on a little long, but I really do like the Spider-Man clone story. Uh, and and just like Wayne, I like me some uh, some Scarlet Spider. So uh, you know, if you're talking trash about my Peter Parker clones, you're gonna have to take it up with me. So right. Call you out. Crea- character creator of that game better have a line for hoodies. That's right. That's all I'm saying. That's right. Jesus Christ. So, um, did anyone else find the uh, the dialogue between Kane and Spider Man amusing? Uh, yes. Absolutely. I, yeah. It's <laughs> like, and to think I wanted a brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I particularly like the so he works in the nude. <laughs> well, and my favorite is you know where uh, Spider Man, well Kane dressed as Spider Man says, "Ew, stretchy neck," in reference to uh, yeah. Reed Richards, uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, "That really freaks me out." And Peter Parker's like, "No, it doesn't. You've seen it a billion times." <laughs> it's like, play along, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Yeah, is it just me, or are they giving uh, Kane a bit of Ben Riley's personality? Oh, it really does seem like Kane is. It seems like they wanted Ben, they had Kane, so Kane's going to be more like Ben. Yeah, it seems that since you know Ben Riley has not been brought back since he died, right? It just seemed easier to write Kane as Ben. Yeah, and I'm cool with that. Yeah, I've always kind of liked Kane, and if Kane's going to be acting like Ben, I'm. I'm perfectly fine with that, and my prediction that he's going to be the next Scarlet Spider, I'm still standing by that. Oh, yeah. It's especially abs- after this issue. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Yeah. No, but I uh, I, I enjoyed the issue. I, you know, I, I thought it was really well written. It had some funny scenes. I thought it was hilarious that Spider-Man's like, I saved the day. Let me hang out here with my ex-girlfriend instead of giving <laughs> a shit about my previous – about my current girlfriend. Yeah, who uh, – His ex-girlfriend was a model though, so I, I can see that. Uh, I mean, I get it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, she's a redhead, and you know, I'm not the hugest fan of Carly like you guys are, but still. Well, I like Carly, but I love Mary Jane. Agreed. Yeah. I love the. Uh, there's just the offhanded comment. He's jumping into a into fight, and he just gives a simple answer of clone. No yeah. one asks him any more questions. <laughs> clone. Okay. Now Dan Slott's really got a gift for the dialogue on this character. It's awfully good. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of well-written dialogue, uh, one of the things that I think all of us enjoyed, all of us who read it anyway, about Aquaman number one was the dialogue, uh, specifically kind of the characters who didn't take Aquaman seriously. Now, Aaron did not pick up Aquaman number two, but Wayne and I did. And I have to say, I actually enjoyed Aquaman two more than I enjoyed Aquaman one. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick a book of the week this week because there are so many good ones and quite a few bad ones. This one is high up on my list of uh, potentials. The dialogue is just so wonderful, between, not just from the people that are you know discounting Aquaman or making fun of him. The dialogue between Aquaman and Mira is really good as they're talking about all of the uh, all the things he's experienced living on land that she wants to experience now. 
the bad guys are interesting because we don't have any clue what's really going on with them. And they continue the let's make fun of Aquaman. Yeah. What I think is interesting is that DC has pretty much unmarried all of its superheroes, right? Superman's not married anymore. Flash isn't married anymore. Like, everything's back to square one. It's certainly not your family values comic publisher. But Aquaman went the other way. Aquaman is straight up a married couple book. Uh, And it works. You know, it works because these are characters who, you know, they're married, but they've both been dead at certain points in their lives together. And now that they're both alive and together, you know, they're trying to make a life for each other and together on the land. And and it's really well written. Yeah, I Uh, am loving the voice that they're giving to Mira. And I like how they're working. And they know that there are people reading this that have never read Aquaman before. So they work in ways to explain what their powers are. I had no idea what Mira's power was until this issue. Yeah. Jeff Johns writes this book like an Aquaman movie. I got to be honest. I mean, there are certain scenes. In fact, like the they have like an intro to the book and then like you get to the the title page and it's this big widescreen thing that looks like it came out of a Michael Bay movie. I mean, this is straight up like Aquaman the movie. Um, and I'm I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I'm on board. I, I, I have subscribed. I have added it to my monthly poll. Yeah, it still feels weird saying this, but I am getting Aquaman on my pull as well. I mean, I am going to regularly every month buy Aquaman. Just, that, that just that, sounds so wrong. That doesn't surprise me, Paul, considering what you just ranted about at the beginning of the show, you, you big fish kisser. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. And, and maybe reading Aquaman made me sensitive to the fish's needs. But you know what? At least I'm not buying Avengers Academy. Blah. You you always make fun of it, but you never give it a chance. When everyone else on this podcast talks about it being one of the best books Marvel's publishing. Everyone else, Paul. Well, yeah, but that just makes me not want to buy it more. Just to spite you. (laughs) Because you don't like good things. Well, essentially. Paul, I will tell you what. I will make you a deal. If you buy Avengers Academy, the next issue, number 21... Because I think it's going to be a starting point for a new storyline. Whether uh, you like the book or not, I will make a New Year's resolution of next year. I will not make fun of your mother once through yeah. the entire year. And I only have to buy one issue of Avengers Academy? You only have to buy one issue. You just have to give it a chance. You don't even have to Do like it. Do it for your mom, Paul. Do it for your mom. All right. All right. You have a deal. You have a deal. Well, Wayne isn't telling you, Paul, he's going to ghostwrite all the comments for me to say. I was about to say that. But uh, he's going to DM you all the comments. Be like the say, this, say this. Say this. I wasn't part of the deal. Yeah. All right. Tim and I, I are in no way affected by this uh, yeah. arrangement you and, you, and, you and Wayne have. Yeah. Absolutely not. Although we don't do it nearly as much as Wayne does. But, or as much as uh, Paul's mom does. Man, she does it a lot. Hey, oh. <laughs> Just get an open door policy. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good times. <laughs> uh, so, Avengers Academy number twenty. Uh, this one, this one was the the Fear itself wrap up book, basically. Um, what did would you would you guys think of this guy? I I really enjoyed this book. Um, I thought that the uh, the situation that Vale was going through, you know, at the end of of last issue, Vale announced that she was going to quit the team. That things were just too horrible. That you know. She very much has a shattered opinion of what heroes are and what being a hero requires of you and what what you sacrifice. And it the we spend the entire issue with her dealing with that and you know making that choice to leave the academy. I thought this was an awfully strong book. You know, that's one of the things I love about this book is in most books, if someone announces they're leaving the team and walks off at the end of the book, mm-hmm. that's it. They're they're either gone and done, or the next issue they'll talk about it and they'll talk them down. This is the first time I've really seen someone say that they're leaving, and then the next issue have ongoing story with that person making the decision, and they still go. Right. I mean, they have everyone tries to talk her out of it. And still at the end, she's she's made up her mind. She leaves. That's the kind of character development that I haven't really seen in other books. 
Yeah, she I, continues to make the wrong decisions. <laughs> All the yeah. way up to this one. It's like, and people are like, he's a sociopath. Yeah, but he does good things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like even what strikers say, hey, just because you're going to turn into some, like, traitor supervillain doesn't mean we can't hang out. <laughs> yeah, it was a great line. She even, yeah, and she doesn't even, like, you know, say, oh, that's not, that's ridiculous. She just goes with it. I, I am amused that, uh, uh, gosh, I'm suddenly drawing a blank on the guy's name, the telepath guy, um, you know, God, Vance. Uh, Justice? Yeah, Justice, Justice. thank you. Um, I kept thinking Vance Astro, but uh, anyway, so Justice and Speedball are, you know, have both left the Academy as well as instructors, and they are going to be the Marvel Comics version of Hard Traveling Heroes, Going from coast to coast, seeing the world, showing how superheroes do their thing. Have they announced a, a book for those two? I was just thinking that. I'm like, who who, you know, who doesn't want to read? Who doesn't want to read Christos Gage's Speedball Justice Buddies Across America? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not a big. I've never been a big fan of Speedball, but I'm a huge fan of Justice. Yeah. There was a miniseries years ago. I have no idea when it even came out that I picked up of Justice and. You know, absolutely love the character. You know, every incarnation I've seen of him since then has never quite lived up to that miniseries. Mm-hmm. But that miniseries cemented in my mind that this is a really cool character. I've loved how they've used him here in this book. You know, he's a very, very powerful character with an interesting backstory. So I, I would buy that book just for him. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of disappointed that he's leaving the, the team. Well, I hope they're going to do like a mini or something with those two because I think that could be a fun story. I agree. Yeah. Okay, so what do you guys think about the 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 fact that they're uh, they're opening the doors to new people here? They're going back to the West Coast. Yeah, they're you know because the Infinite Mansion was destroyed uh, in the events of Fear itself. You know they have they're moving out west to the old West Coast Avengers headquarters, and they've decided that uh, you know maybe part of the problem with the Academy. Is that they were just limiting it to the uh, core membership that they're concerned about turning into villains. So you know maybe they need to expose these kids to kids that you know are more normal, uh, normal superheroes, not normal you know non-powered. And so it's almost a uh, uh, a non-mutant uh, Professor X school, you know. Um, you so know, my initial reaction on any other book would be we're going to see a bunch of characters now and, you know, it's not going to have the same focus on this core group. But how, considering how he's written since the, all these first 20 issues, he does an amazing job of making you care about characters that yeah. you've never heard of before, that have never existed before. Well, I'm excited. So, you know, you, you've got yeah. Understrike back there and you've got, uh, you know, that fat guy. I forget his name. Butterball. Butterball, yes, <laughs> and I love both of those characters. So I, I, I there's, I, I think that's going to be fun. And is the, is the, the, the girl that's flying? Is she one of the uh, power pack? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's uh, light speed. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, I, I have to admit that as a, uh, as a kid, I picked up a bunch of the power pack, power pack stuff. I read almost the entire run. And then as an adult, I went back to those issues and tried to read them. Yeah. And, God, they were horrible. They're a great kid's book, yeah. but, oh, they yeah, they do not hold up as an adult. Yeah. If anyone has fond memories of those books, don't go back to them. <laughs> oh. Now, Paul, I think uh, a book that we're going to have fond memories of is uh, this recent run on Captain America and Bucky with uh, Brubaker and Chris Somney. Paul. Oh, Paul. Yes, absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have really enjoyed um, this run on uh, Captain America. Yeah, I'm, I've actually – I'm. it's been surprising to me Yeah. How, how well done it's been. You know, I, I pretty much did it just for Chris Somney because Ed Brubaker – I mean, don't get me wrong. I do like Brubaker, but his Captain America stuff has been leaving me cold lately. But when I figured out, or when I found out that this was going to be set in World War II, I wouldn't have to deal with modern Captain America fear itself bullshit. I I thought I'd give it a shot. And uh, I gotta say, 
this was probably my favorite issue of the run, and it just got so dark in this issue. I yeah the uh, you know these stories are telling Bucky's story from when he was uh, Captain America's partner in World War II, and so this issue Bucky gets to experience a, uh, a Nazi concentration camp, and it's every bit as dark as you would expect it to be, which is such an interesting juxtaposition because Chris Somney's uh, inks on the book are very nostalgic. You know, there's yeah. almost like a, a Norman Rockwell quality to his art. You know, you really do get a sense of the period. You really have this, um, I want to say it called heroic and wholesome kind of, of uh, tone to the artwork. And when you get to those concentration camp pages, they're every bit as horrible as they ought to be. The, the, the artwork is evocative. It's stirring. There are horrible scenes in this book. You know, because of what went on in, in those camps, I, I I think this book just was fantastic. Yeah, uh, and it, it's so because the book starts off very lighthearted. Uh huh. You know, Bucky's trying to get into trouble. You know, just like Bucky does. There's lots of humor, and like you see the covering, Bucky's in one of these concentration camps, and his face is all beaten. But the cover doesn't really match what's going on in the book. Yeah. And then about halfway into the book, where he realizes he's in a concentration camp. And does battle with Nazis in the body trenches and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so well done. Um, my only disappointment in the book is the last page, in that you have this, you know, this great story, and then the last page pretty much jumps forward to when Bucky, you know, gets, Bucky and Cap have the accident that, right. you know, gets them both frozen in ice. Uh, and I was like, I really want to see everything in between yeah. the page before and this page occur. Um, I don't know if it's because of sales. Maybe they're trying to rush through the story. I don't know. But Well, you know, the, the next part of this story is, you know, the Winter Soldier years. And, you know, so it just seems like they're trying to, you know, tell some additional backstory on the Bucky character. And I just don't think that they wanted to spend all this time in World War II. But I got to tell you, I would be all over a Chris Somney uh, Captain America and Bucky book ongoing set in World War II years. I mean, I'd be all over that. And there's enough there for, I mean, I get it. Some of the tales have already been told, but you know what? I didn't read them when they first came out. You can yeah. retell some of the stories, you know, I, I really would be okay with it. Well, and, and I'd I be okay with this was. Yeah. And I'd be okay with an invaders book by this, by this team. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just, I love the way he draws these characters. Well, and I was going to drop off the book after Somni left. I think I think he has one more issue. Yeah, I think this is it. it, it I think next time, you think he's drawing that the uh, Soviet era book? I think he's drawing the Soviet era book. Okay, all right. Uh, and then after that, I think he's done, which is a shame because I do I love the Chris Somni art. Yeah, but the artist after him is uh, Francesco Francovia, and yeah. I don't I, I love that guy. Same here. So I, I am without a doubt staying on the book because that guy is just a fantastic artist. I have exactly one complaint about this book. Okay. The cover. Ed McGinnis needs to get off the damn covers. Yes. And you know, it's an Ed McGinnis and Chris Sotomayor cover. And I'm like, why the hell wouldn't you have Chris Somney doing this cover? Yeah. I, I mean, the cover is adequate, but it's not good. And it is not anywhere near as strong as the artwork within the book. Well, and that's been the entire run. Yeah. You know, these Ed McGinnis covers. And don't get me wrong. I like Ed McGinnis, but his his style doesn't match the interiors. No, book. no. Uh, and I, it seems like he's only on for the Chris Somney issues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when Franco, when uh, Franco Villa comes on the title, he'll do, be doing the covers. And I'm OK with that. Yeah. But you're right. I, I have not been a fan of the Ed McGinnis covers. Yeah. But I got to tell you, these books are so good. They're just so good. So I, I just I, – I love it. I love it. Just as much as I'm sure you guys enjoyed Green Lantern's New Guardians. Paul, I know you're a huge fan. Talk to us about New Guardians. Well, I'm more curious to hear what Wayne has to say about this book because Wayne has said this is his favorite Green Lantern book of the New 52. As I know, it's your favorite. Yep. Not not so much. <laughs> so for me, Kyle has always been my Green Lantern. 
Any book that makes Kyle something special other than just another Green Lantern is immediately on good footing for me. This book, though, has the most interesting out of all of the new premises, as far as I'm concerned, and that's one ring of every core is going to Kyle. And there's only one Orange Lantern ring, so the only Orange Lantern ring is going to him. We see another issue of the Guardians are utter douchebags. I mean, seriously, it would be out of place if they did a Guardian story where they actually were the good guys at this point. Because every time we see these guys, they're doing something to indicate that they shouldn't be in power. In this case, we finally see what happened with Ganthet, and they basically lobotomized him. They wiped out his personality, pulled his emotions from them. And when Kyle finds out about this, he's so pissed that all of these other rings that have been floating around him finally wrap themselves on his fingers. So we're getting, it's leading up to a fight between Kyle versus all of the guardians. That is the ultimate and cool for me. You know, this new Kyle that has one of every ring. He's the ultimate lantern at this point. Cause he's a one of everything getting ready to fight the guardians of the galaxy. You know, the guardians by and, far, this is my favorite of the green lantern books. And that's not to take anything away from green lantern. Because the Sinestro stuff has been really good, too. But it's not Kyle having one of every ring. Kyle being something really special. That's what this book is. You know, I, I didn't care for this issue. And, and I, it just felt like it was there was too much going on. It, it just felt like there was a jumble of things going on. I felt like the story didn't flow. Don't get me wrong. I'm interested in the general sense of the story. I just don't necessarily care for the way it was written. And it kind of continues, you know, the reason I'm liking Green Lantern itself, the the core title so much right now, is because it doesn't seem to be continuing the same trend of, of, of storytelling that got me kind of Green Lanterned out before the New 52. Whereas this book does seem to be very much written in that same style. Hey, let's, let's have all the core in one book and, you know everything is this big epic battle and things like that. And I'm just, I'm fatigued on that type of Green Lantern storytelling. Yeah. So and that I, is one thing the regular Green Lantern book has is it's a very concise, very close knit story. So far, what we've seen in this, the first two issues of this is everything is going crazy around Kyle. I'm enjoying that though. I like that. It's everything's chaotic at the moment because I think some of the best Kyle stories are when he's completely in over his head and he has no idea what's going on and everything's happening so fast that he's just reacting to it. For Kyle as a character, those are always been the best stories to me. And this is fitting that exactly. Everything is chaotic. He has no clue what's going on. It isn't this nice, tight story like we have over in Green Lantern. But it, that type of story doesn't fit this character as well for me. And you're right. I mean, th this is a good Kyle story. I just – I don't know if I'm interested enough to stick on it, especially since – and I said this the last couple of weeks. I am actively looking for books to not continue purchasing, and this just – this doesn't seem like it's going to make the mold. Unfortunately, since you're still buying it, hmm. I've been the same book, Paul. I'm trying to pare down my DC stuff because there's just too many of them. But every week, out of all the books I'm getting, I'm only dropping like one. And it's like, that's not paring this down enough. Exactly. There's too many DC books. I had to drop five books this week. So this one and our next title are definitely in the drops. Um, and speaking of our next title, which I won't be buying issue two of... Incredible Hulk Volume 3, Number 1 came out this week. The much-anticipated, much-advertised Jason Aaron, Mark Silvestri, kind of Mark Silvestri uh, yeah. team-up. Because, you know, Mark Silvestri, on the very first issue of the run, required pencils, pencil assists from Michael Broussard. And um, if you're familiar with Michael Broussard, he, he did a run on The Darkness Uh a lot more of this book is Michael Broussard than you would generally think, considering Mark Silvestri's name is on the cover. So, Aaron, what'd you think of Jason Aaron, Mar Jason Aaron's Incredible Hulk number one? Well, let's just say I was all kinds of jazzed about uh, Incredible Hulk number one when it was solicited. Um, the cover art had me just horny as all hell for uh, the Incredible Hulk. 
And then we had Fear Itself number seven last week with the epilogue in it. Yep. And suddenly, not so interested. But I decided to go ahead and give it a chance. I've read it twice now. Uh, In my first read-through, I hated it with everything I had. (laughs) Um, On my second read-through, because I... I, I was in a particularly foul mood that day, so I'm like, I need to give it another chance. So I read through it again, and while my feelings are not nearly as strong, um, I don't think it's a very good book. It doesn't feel like a Hulk book, you know. Um, I don't think that that uh, uh, Jason Aaron's has the character voiced right, um, and I know that there are you know many many different interpretations of the Hulk, um, but I just I, I didn't care for the voicing. Um, I, the artwork is adequate. Um, it just, I wasn't interested in anything that was going on. No, uh, I agree. I, I think the most interesting, I, I, I will say, I think that the interesting things on the panel had very little to do about the Hulk. I mean, I was kind of interested in the society of mole people, you know, and I was <laughs> very amused that, uh, there are, apparently the mole people have been hiding their, uh, female citizens because you know they're female citizens a little bit hot (laughs) (laughs) um but everything else i just was so not interested in this book um it it, it was kind of like i gotta be honest it was kind of like planet hulk under the surface of the planet well and i don't how it read to me and i don't like what they've done with bruce banner you know all of a sudden you know the the hulk somehow splits off of uh from Bruce Banner, and I got to tell you, I think it's the Red Cloak Lady from the New Fifty Two. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he, he somehow splits off from from Bruce Banner, and Bruce Banner's like, "What have you done, Hulk? What have you done?" At the end of that epilogue, and then you know, in this book, we find that Doctor Bruce Banner has become some kind of Doctor Moreau character, um, and has gone nuts, and you know, clearly is the bad guy. And I just, you know, I, I don't want to hear that story. I don't want to read that story. I thought it was a little silly because yeah. I got to be honest. Bruce Banner being free of the Hulk, to me, I want to see Bruce Banner excel and become a science superhero. Yeah. And instead, he goes crazy, and it's like, that's not Bruce Banner. I mean, it, it, it hasn't been. You know, he's been free of the Hulk. Or when Bruce Banner takes over the Hulk's body, he's not doing this. Yeah. You know, I just – I didn't care for, for that twist. And I, I thought I would because I had read a little bit about it before it started. Mm-hmm. But reading it, the way it was done, with him being as insane as he looks to be, right? basically taking an entire island and converting its population of animals to hulked-out creatures. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I have to say, I, I was really looking forward to Incredible Hulk because, you know, I've been aching for an Incredible Hulk book that I can enjoy. And this was not it. You know, I, I don't... I'm not sure who this book appeals to, but it's not me. And I was I was stunned to read the comments from Jason Aaron in the back of the book where he's like, yeah, you know, I was particularly influenced by Peter David's run. And the only thing that's that's similar between this Hulk and Peter David's run is that the Hulk speaks intelligently. But there is none of the charm. There's none of the character. Uh, I, I strongly disliked this book. Yeah, and I, I, I feel kind of bad because Jason Aaron had two number ones with Marvel this week. He had Incredible Hulk and Wolverine and the X-Men. And I decided to pick up both of them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really care for either one enough to pick up the second issue. Yeah. yeah and I, I like Jason Aaron. I, I am typically a Jason Aaron fan. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you guys were talking about, you know, paring down your pull list. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure that I'm paring down any of my new 52s this week. But I certainly don't need to be picking up Incredible Hulk number two. Now, you know. one title that I'm not going to drop, at least until Warren Ellis leaves the title, which I know is coming, Secret Avengers. Oh, I got to say, this was my book of the week. Yeah, holy hells, this was a good book. Secret Avengers number 18, written by da- Warren Ellis, art by David Aha. Aha! Aha! Um, with Raul Allen. Don't forget Raul. Allen. Holy shit, this book was fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. It featured uh, Shang-Chi, the world's greatest martial artist, Steve Rogers, and Sharon Carter. Basically, in this M.C. Escher universe. Mm -hmm. So it's like Kung Fu with these 
never-ending staircases and improper physics backgrounds. I mean, the art was so amazing in this book. Well, and the you're absolutely right. The art was was quite amazing. Uh, and you know, I read this book right after I finished reading Captain America and Bucky. And I got to tell you that the art styles between David Aha and Chris Somney really pair nicely together. Great. Um, what I liked about the book, you know, again, it's it's one of those done in ones. You get a full on story. You know, the, you, you feel like, OK, there's stuff that we needed to know beforehand, which they tell you, you know, because even though it's a done in one, they're layering in, you know, things that have gone before and super science and all this kind of fun stuff. And it's just it is chock full of action and story throughout this book. And there's actually character development in this done in one book. Yeah. I mean, it is it, it was fantastic. Loved this book. And I'm right there with you. Book of the week. Yeah. It is not an overly talky book. No. But you get everything you need. Yeah. In in this title. If you picked up Secret Avengers number eighteen and that was your only Marvel title you picked up this week, or you know, I mean you would not be lost. Yeah. If you didn't pick up seventeen, you don't pick up nineteen, you would not be lost. Yeah, and you know, anytime you can put Tesseracts and hypercubes into uh into a book, I'm there. Agreed. This was cool. Now, one book that uh, you're going to be lost from page one. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, uh, you know, we, we've been doing this ongoing, uh, like, saw torture porn thing where we've been uh, <laughs> making each person on the podcast read um, these new titles. And this week, my choice, and it was the first one we've had to pay for because we didn't get press copies of it. But thankfully, it was only a dollar was Spaceman from DC's Vertigo line, written by a t- creative team that I'm a huge fan of, Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Riso. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll let you guys take it away. What the fuck, Paul? <laughs> That's all <laughs> yeah, I got to say. Seri- seriously. Let me tell you what I liked about the book. There's a like? Everything that happens on Mars I thought was cool. You know, the the scenes at the space station and whatnot, I liked those scenes. Um, everything else, I hated. I absolutely, you know, the, the I, I appreciate what, what uh, Brian Azzarello is trying to accomplish with creating the dialect for this future society. But, oh, my God, it's irritating. Yes, that would more than anything else was what killed this book for me. Yeah. That dialogue grated on the back of my mind to the point where I just wanted to stab my eyes. I couldn't make it through this book. I did not fully read the book. I only got halfway through, and I just had to close it because the dialogue made me want to stab my eyes out with a spoon. I haven't haven't seen this much sucking since I saw your mom last, Paul. This was awful. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was uh, pretty awful. You know, and the the, th- the the thing is, is that I wanted to like it, you know, because I really do. like Paul. I like this team. You know, it's the the same team that brought you a hundred bullets. And Batman right. Night of Vengeance. Yeah, and like I said, I really enjoyed the stuff that happens on Mars, but uh, not so much everything else. Well, and okay, so here's the whole language thing. So yes, you, I'm not trying to. Well, you better talk fast about this because I don't understand. <laughs> All right. So it, it seems like Brian Azzarello is saying in the future, much like our language right now is kind of a dumbed down version of language 400 years ago. You know, dialogue is going to change in the future and people are going to speak essentially dumber than they're going to sound like retards really they're gonna it's gonna be kind of this dumbed down language mixed with this texting language so instead of laughing people are just gonna say lol and instead of saying i hear you people are gonna say i ear you and things like that so i mean i get that he's trying to create create this dialect but it doesn't work it really doesn't work and it makes the book very hard to read it does yeah Um, i will say there are some interesting concepts here some of the ideas behind this book are not bad ideas. You know, genetic creating genetic people for the purpose of doing work on Mars. That could have been interesting. The dialogue was bad enough that any potential of interest is just completely lost. Mm-hmm. The uh, the story is just crazy. And it's 
I said I really I couldn't get past just how bad the dialogue was. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know what he ruined it for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know what he was trying to do. I even kind of respect what he was trying to do. Yeah, he didn't do it well. This this is unreadable. Yeah, I, I, it was not something I cared for. Yeah, me either. And I'm not picking up the rest of the series because at this point, it, it's not like they're going to change an issue too, and they're going to talk exactly. No, yeah, if it, it wasn't even saved by later. the boobs. It wasn't even saved by the boobs. No, no. And I got to be honest, the art I was fine with. Oh, it, I love the art. I the it art was really, great. For me, it boiled down to the book is unreadable because of the dialogue. Yeah. And there is a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Um, and I, I just couldn't I, – I could not enjoy this book. And I am I am sorry to say that, but, you know, I'm out. Understood. Now, one title that I am in for, surprisingly, is Star Trek Ongoing. Um it is the the new IDW title set in the new Star Trek J.J. Abrams universe, taking tales of classic Star Trek, uh, the original Star Trek series, and kind of revamping them uh, for the J.J. Abrams universe, starting off with where no man has gone before. And this was the conclusion of that storyline. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aaron, you were a big fan of the original episode, so yeah, what did you I, think of the way it concluded? I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. I you know, It's certainly a little bit different from the way uh, – um, the original episode ended. I, I was really hoping, you know, there is this classic scene at the end of the original episode where Gary Mitchell creates Captain Kirk's grave, you know, complete with headstone. And, you know, it's engraved, you know, James R. Kirk. And, you know, of course, that was before they actually named him James T. Kirk in the show. And so I was, I was curious to see what they would do with that. I was, I was wondering if the writer was going to address that. And they chose not to do that in this book, um, yeah. which I was a little disappointed in. Um, I don't know if you noticed this or not, Paul. There's something a we- little weird about the art this time around. Um, I'm not convinced that anything that was uh, uh, technology, like the guns or the ship, was mm-hmm. actually drawn by the same artist. That's possible. If you if you look at it, every time there's like a phaser uh, handgun or a phaser rifle, it doesn't. It looks like it's dropped in. It looks like somebody else put it there. Uh, well, and this kind of brings me to my qualm with the book, um, is the art. Mm-hmm. I think the artist is trying to go too much for character likeness. Right. Because I, I think it, the emotions are failing here. James T. Kirk goes through a lot of emotions in this book, and the only page where I feel it is the one where you don't see his face. Right. Where he's, you know, he's on the ground and he's got his head on the ground and he's got his hands on his head. But every time he's supposed to be reacting mm-hmm. to something and you see his face, I'm like, I, I, he doesn't look pissed. He looks like kind of happy that his friend just killed his other friend. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm right there with you. I I think that the the mistake a lot of uh, a lot of licensed properties make is trying to get that photo realism, you know, between the the source character and the comic book character, and you know. There's a shorthand to comics. Peter Parker doesn't have to look the same in every comic book, you know. But there are things you know about Peter Parker. Um, it's the same thing with these guys. I mean, you're going to know who the captain is. You're going to know who Spock is. You draw them similar, but you don't try and 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 capture, you know, the actor, the person in every single uh, page. I, I just think that's kind of a mistake. Exactly. I mean, you can establish their comic book look. Right. You know, I don't need the guy to look like um, – I don't remember the actor's name off that the top dude. of my head. It's that dude. That dude. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't need him to look like that dude, Chris Pine. <laughs> um, I don't need him to look like Chris Pine if you tell me this is Kirk and this is how Kirk's going to look going forward. Got it. Yeah. I would you actually know? prefer if they would do that too because I've noticed on most comics based on TV shows or movies, I tend to hate the way the characters look. Because they make this attempt to make them look like the the actors, and they can't do it. It won't look like the actor, and they're taking something away from it by trying so hard to do it. You know, come up with your look. Yes, base it on the actor because you're basing it on a property, but do something yeah. different. Yeah, Kirk. I mean, Kirk is. It's not like Kirk has a look, right? I mean, Kirk is a sh- like this young, handsome, blonde guy. Damn. There, there you go. There's Kirk. You can draw right. a guy like that and say this is Kirk. 
and I, I, it doesn't need to look like Chris Pine. It doesn't need to look like William Shatner. I got it. It's Kirk. Right. It's it just, I, I, I disagree with the, the, the art style of the book took away from the emotion of the piece. I felt with better art, I would have loved this book because the story was fine, but the art kind of distract, distracted from it. Well, I really enjoyed it. Uh, have we heard what uh, issue three is? Um, I have not. Yeah, I haven't either. They didn't. They didn't promote it in this book, other than to give us a cover that really tells us nothing. Yeah, well, the covers are pretty much like they're that photorealistic art that we were talking yeah, about. Exactly. But I mean, I, I am. I am going to pick up issue three. I had. I had hesitated, but since you're going to pick it up, I'm oh, yeah. going to pick it up as well. I'm. I. I I'm loving the the IDW Star Trek. So no, I'm there. Yeah, uh, and I, I was. I, I was hesitant going in, but. Don't be uh, hesitant, Paul. Don't, don't be, be hesitant. But I mean, the guy on it, Peter Johnson or Mike Johnson, I think he was. I think he's one of the writers of the J.J. Abrams Brigade, uh-huh. or whatever. So <laughs> his posse, uh, his posse. And uh, issue three is a reimagining of the classic episode, The Galileo Seven. Oh, okay. That's the one where they all go down on the planet, and the giants hold the shuttle down. And Spock has to make some uh, key decisions. You know, we, we've got too much weight on the shuttlecraft. Somebody's got to stay behind. You know, yeah. Damn it, you green-blooded Vulcan. You know. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay, I, I have to find out. Is anyone buying Superman number three? Hell yeah! Hell what? yeah! Yeah. Hell yeah! Why? Why is yeah. there a question? I just don't. I don't know how I feel about it. You know how you feel about it? You love it. <laughs> That's how you feel about it. It has been so long since there's been a good Superman title, and now we've got two. I, I would like more Superman. Yes. It's taking too long between Superman stories. Like Oliver just, Twist, we are asking for more, please. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah just, no. Loving this I stuff. I don't know if I'm sold on the, on the George Perez Superman stuff. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I'm completely sold. I love this Clark Kent. It's a very good take on Clark Kent that blends some of the things I've liked about the previous ones. He's not the overly bumbling Clark Kent. I love that he has the fortress already because that surprised me. I expected to see the fortress show up during the course of actual Superman books, which we may see it in Action Comics. I would be surprised if we didn't. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I... I, I like the voice of this Superman. I like the voice of this Lois Lane. I and, don't and see I, anything to not like. And I don't know where it is, but he's got some kind of fortress thing going on in this book. Kind of dug that. Yeah, and his cell phone's hooked into it. Yeah. So he's getting the Clark Kent's voicemail in the it's fortress. It's the Kent's cellular Superman. reroute. <laughs> yep. Um, now, I do have a question because, you know, in the opening pages, he's, you know, at this uh, – this lab and he's looking at stars and whatnot. Is that the Astrodome that they were talking about in the earlier book? I don't believe they are. Okay. I don't believe that's what it is. Cause I just assumed the Astrodome that they were talking about in the other book was like a sports facility, like the Houston Astrodome. Yeah, that's, I'm pretty sure it was. Okay. Cause I, but you know, they, they never identified where he was star labs or whatever. And I was like, well, did they mean Astrodome? Like maybe a, a, um, stellar research center or something. No, what I kind of took this as is this is the updated version of that facility they had him trapped in. Uh huh. In an action comics. Yeah. Because you know you've got General Lane there, and he's like, you know, you have a lot. They they have this discussion that's, you know, hey, first time I saw you, or last time I saw you, you know, didn't go so well. Yeah. So I like the way the titles are tying in together. I, I just – I don't know. There's I, something about this book and – I, it, I that's love not that rad. conversation though. I mean where he actually – you know, where Lane actually has the the strength of character to look at Superman and say, what exactly is your relationship with my daughter? You know, he's asking the most powerful man on the planet – is she what is building tensions with my daughter? Is she building up a Kryptonian immunity because of your uh, her exposure to your DNA? <laughs> <laughs> Sharing a toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, and I love that Clark and Lois have had this competitive relationship. 
And then uh, Lois acknowledges that and we see pictures of them with awards and it, there's this history there that isn't the history that we know, Yeah, it but looks it's like a history it's, I'm happy with. Yeah, it looks like the entire relationship is gone. Like, they never dated or anything, because there's literally no reference to it. I mean, she acts like they never dated. Yeah, and that's what I take out of this, too. I don't think they've ever dated. So, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I'm on it. the fence on issue three. I am totally in for number three. Yeah, I have to say, one other amusing thing to me. Looking through on the uh, during one of the fight scenes, someone is holding up their equivalent of an iPhone to record it, and the symbol on the back of it, instead of an apple, is a pineapple. Yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> that that just amused me. An easily recognizable shape, I guess. Yeah, so, I mean, it's like they could put an orange. No, I'm I'm surprised to hear that you're out on this one, Paul, because I. I am in really enjoying the new Superman. I'm a big Superman fan to begin with, and it's been a while since I've enjoyed a Superman book, so I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, well, and I know George Perez is only on for the first six issues, I think, and then Keith Giffen takes over. Yeah, at that right, point, or, you'll start liking it, and we'll start hating it. Yeah, Dan, well, Dan Jurgens writing Keith Giffen on art. We'll see. Now, what? Maybe if it just had more naked voodoo in it, I would be okay with it. Yes. I confuse everyone with naked voodoo? (laughs) No, you just put mental images in our heads. Exactly. Oh, okay. Um, Voodoo number two came out this week. The second issue of the much controversial title, because, you know, she was a stripper and there was lots of half-nakedness in the first first issue. Uh, You know, because that's so different than what she was before the New 52, where she was a stripper and there was a bunch of nakedness. Exactly. Well, you know, and in the New 52, apparently people like to have sex with their bras on. Yeah, what's up with that? I don't know. They couldn't just artfully shadow her boobs. She had to keep her bra on. Like, they have sex like three times in this issue. (laughs) I I have to point out again, this can't marginalize women because voodoo can turn into a guy and have sex. So obviously Voodoo's not a woman. So we can see as much of her nude as as they want to show, and that's perfectly fine. It's not in any way marginalizing women. Yeah, just no, want to point that out. I thoroughly dug Voodoo. I, you know, the only I have one objection to Voodoo. I, let me let me say this: I don't like the way um, Voodoo looks. I guess in her natural state, the character design design seems a bit awkward to me. But uh, the story and the and the rest of the art, I really dig. When you mean her normal state, you mean her alien state? Correct. Yes, I agree. The alien design is a little funky. Yeah. It just, I thought it, it looked better in that first issue than it did in this one. Yeah, and this issue, it, she just seems clunky, and I, I just I want something a little bit more sleek. Uh, I mean, I, I want it looking monstrous, don't get me wrong, but you know, I want it to look like she's supposed to be that way. You know, And this, this just looks like you know, somebody playing dress-up. I didn't like the look of that guy that showed up. The one I'm not sure who he's supposed to be. He looks kind of like Captain Adam and kind of like uh, uh, a couple other characters I can think of, but I can't think of their names offhand. I'm not really sure if this is who he's supposed to be, but I just don't like the look of this guy. I think something will be established that maybe there are multiple Captain Adam-type characters. Maybe he's Major Force. That was one of the cute people I thought he kind of looked like that I couldn't remember the name of. Yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed the issue. I enjoyed that Voodoo seems to be almost like this X-Files game of cat and mouse with the alien and the FBI. I'm, I'm what I'm really not sure about is how next issue is going to go. The first two issues are great. I'm on board. I don't know that I want to see Green Lantern show up this early in the run. Yeah, because it doesn't feel like a superhero book. And when exactly. you throw a superhero in, it might throw off the vibe. But you know what? It's Ron Mars writing Kyle Rayner. I'm I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna keep it going. I'm gonna go for at least issue three. Oh yeah, I'm definitely on board to keep going. The issue three is the first one I'm a little bit nervous about, just because of that. You know, the whole bringing a superhero in. It's not even that it's you know a Green Lantern. It's they're bringing in a named superhero. Yeah. Well. Even Speaking of named like, superheroes, there's a yeah. bunch of them in Teen Titans. And, uh, you know, there's... Speaking of titles, I won't be buying issue 3s for. Oh, no. Sorry, Tim. I tried. I really did. Yeah. 
you know, and it pains me to say I'm not buying issue three either, because I I love this Tim Drake. I love this Cassie. Those are two very interesting characters. They're just not telling a good story in any way here. This story is not interesting. It's not good. I don't like the new characters they're introducing. I like some of these as individual characters, and I wish there was a Tim Drake title. But, you know, there is no Tim Drake title. This is the only place we can get Tim Drake. But if it's not a good story, it doesn't matter how interesting the character is. Well, I mean, to be fair, I there were parts of it I didn't like either. So, I, I mean, once Paul said, you know, every other Teen Titan that's going to be in this book looks stupid. I'm <laughs> like, they really do. And that's that's awful. <laughs> so, it's like, I can't, like, the whole Spider Lady thing, it's like, okay, that's dumb. But I, I did enjoy the, the, the I, I, I like the new Cassie. Yeah, I love the new Cassie. I love Tim's interactions with the new Cassie. I think those are great conversations. I think these are two really strong characters that I wish were in a different book because I can't read them here. Yeah. yeah. I just and cuz even Kid Flash the way he's portrayed in this book, I don't care for it. No, he's he's more of a moron than he used to be. Yeah, I mean, I I do like Tim Drake. Tim uh, and it pisses me off because they decided all right, we're gonna not we're gonna take away Red Robin as a title, and we're gonna focus on Tim Drake in the Teen Titans book. But I don't like the Teen Titans book, despite the fact that I like the Tim Drake character. So now I'm not getting Tim Drake. Um, it just yeah. they should have just kept it Tim, Cassie, and Superboy. I mean, to start off with. But because I, this Skitter character, seriously, Skitter. I mean, she looks retarded. One yeah, thing I did bad. notice in the uh, – basically in Tim's my thoughts here, this isn't the first team of Teen Titans. Yes. I, I wasn't sure about that after the first issue. I thought that there had never been a Teen Titans. But he specifically mentions in here that you know this, uh, this was the shortest incarnation of the Teen Titans, meaning there have been other versions of it. Which is interesting because Cyborg is part of the first Justice League. So who was in the first Teen Titans is basically, you know, I obviously there is this history they need to establish. My guess is we're going it's going to have been uh Arsenal, Firestar, um and Starfire. Uh, Starfire and <laughs> at least Robin because they did make a comment in uh Red Hood and the Outlaws number 1 that she used to be with Dick Grayson and the rest of them. True, true. They, they they made reference there that could have been reference to an early Teen Titans. She just doesn't remember any of it because she's a cardboard character and not a well-developed <laughs> one anymore. I just – I don't know. I, I did not care for issue two of Teen Titans. I, I'm not digging the art really that much either. Really? Yeah. You don't even I, like the art. I love the art. That That's one thing I don't agree with. I absolutely love all of the drawings of Tim and Cassie and – I don't like the designs of the new characters, but the art on it is top-notch for me. And I really love these the interactions between these characters. There are a couple pages here that were some of my favorite pages to read this week. The problem is there's only two out of the whole book that I really enjoy. <laughs> well, and like all the we, – not just the new Teen Titans characters, but the new villains created for this book kind of suck too. Like these triplets who – teleport to each other or teleport out of each other or whatever. I didn't really understand that concept. I don't know. I just, I did not care for Teen Titans as a book. And, I, and that's a shame because I was really looking forward to it. I always tried Teen Titans whenever they do a reboot or a revamp. And, um, I, I just don't think I'm on board. Well, I guess that's the so, end of this week. <laughs> I was say, are you, are you sticking with it, Tim? I don't Paul know. Paul and I are both out. I, I don't know. I'm not committing I just, yet. I just wish there was a Red Robin book. I I love this character so much. I love the writing of him and Cassie. But like I said, looking through, I've glanced through it again. There are three pages I liked out of the entire book. And it's all Cassie and Tim, not in costume. Oh, I thought the Superboy page was interesting. But I'm sure you guys read that in Superboy. So. Uh, not really. Uh, Superboy... 
mostly takes place before that. Oh, okay. But I do like that they're tying together. So, Tim, are you buying Swamp Thing number three next week? No. Ah, oh, killing me. I can't do it, dude. I well, can't do it. You can do it. No, I can't, because I don't want anything to do with Animal Man. So. <laughs> Besides, uh, you know, you guys talk about paring it down. I mean, to a lesser extent, I, I kind of have to, too. Hey, understandable. But you know what is coming out next week that'll get your panties all up in a bunch? Mm. <laughs> Infinite Vacation number three finally comes out next week from Image Comics. Uh, you know, as much as I love the first issues, I'm debating on whether I'm going to get issue three or not. Because I might just wait for the trade. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to wait for the trade at this point. I after think waiting this good. long, it's been so long since I've read an issue, I'd have to dig them out, find them, and reread them to have a clue what's going on. So, yeah, I, I'm leaning towards just waiting for the trade. Yeah. So, next week fine, is the start of the third issues of the New 52. Books like Action Comics, Animal Man, Detective Comics, you know, going to their third issues. The We get the epilogue of Amazing Spider-Man. And uh, thankfully, a much smaller week than this $50 week for me. Yuck. Yeah, I'll probably be picking up the rinse number three because when I think it was Aaron that assigned that one. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. So I'm I think I'm on board for it. Hey, I remembered the title that uh, Aaron wanted us to read, but then he, you know, called out of the podcast. It was <laughs> Elric. he wanted us to read Elric, the balance lost. So is that is that the assigned reading next week? Uh, do I gotta? You can assign it, but I'm not reading it after this week. <laughs> I need I'm a break from assigned reading after this week. Well, Tim can't read incorruptible. Maybe there won't be assigned reading next week. Yeah, yeah because yeah. if I were to assign, it would be the first issue of the new Planet of the Apes miniseries. Ugh. Down with the sickness. <laughs> <laughs> So we are done with that. That the cycle is complete now that we read Spaceman number one. Spaceman number one killed the podcast. It broke the chain. <laughs> LOL. I guess that's LOL. I guess that's a, a dollar well spent if we consider it that way. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week. We will catch you next week. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>